Bryce asked me to come and get you. I'm not leaving them. They're not going to let you stay. Why not? Don't you have to go back to the hospital? I'm not going back. since I've been here. Besides, nobody listens to anybody anyway, even if they aren't crazy. You go tell Weiss I'm staying with my friend. the Dr. Zeus Film Podcast. I'm still under the weather. I'm medicated now. Thank you, Mucinex. Last night I watched a film that tripped me out. So much so that, you know how you watch a film and you it becomes part of your dream? Because I think I flew in the dream and then Rosie O'Donnell was there, my friend and I, and we were like, what? Huh. So last night I watched Birdie. <laughs> TCM was doing of the director Alan Parker Alan Parker I mean Midnight Express The Wall Birdie Evita (laughs) Didn't you do Mississippi? Yeah, you did Mississippi Burning Alan Parker did a a wide variety of films He died in 2020 Um, His birthday would have been this week Um so I can I can understand that. And so they were playing Birdie, and I'd never I'd heard of Birdie, but I'd never seen it. And yeah, there's Vietnam in it, but it's not necessarily about Vietnam. It's about these two characters. One of them is obsessed with birds and with flight. Matthew Modine and Nicolas Cage. So much so that the method actor and Nicolas Cage had his two of his front teeth removed, so that because he wanted to look how the character had looked if he'd been hit by a bomb and his face all messed up. Yeah. Then Matthew Modine got naked <laughs> and went into uh, a pen with some canaries and boom. I mean, it was it was interesting. It was strange. It was, I mean, what can I, what can I say about a film such as this? <laughs> And those are always kind of the films that that stay with you. I mean, so much so that if you're gonna dream about it, all right. Huh. And 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 that's the other thing. It, it was not a commercial. It was considered a commercial disappointment, but you know, I think it's developed a cult following over the years. Directed by Alan Parker, based on Birdie by William Wharton, released in 1984. It's a 1960s working class neighborhood in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. A teenage boy nicknamed Birdie befriends his next door neighbor, Al Compilato, and relates him as, 
and his fascination with birds and their ability to fly, the two began pursuing Bertie's hobby of catching pigeons and caging them in a large wooden aviary that he has built outside his parents' home. One night, they climb atop a refinery building where Bertie hangs on the ledge to catch the pigeons roasting on, the, roosting on them. Bertie loses his grip and falls several stories, but lands on a pile of sand. Slightly dazed, he tells Al that during the fall, he flew. After Bertie is hospitalized for minor injuries, his parents dismantle the Avery. Yeah. So, there's... <laughs> I mean, some people are like, oh, that was a, talk about hallucination right there. You know, and I don't just want to talk about Bertie, though. I want to talk about Alan Parker as a as a director, I mean, have you ever seen Midnight Express? I've seen it. <laughs> Woohoo! That is some crazy ass shit. Okay? It is crazy. It is. I'm gonna I'm gonna play a little bit for you. The music was done by Giorgio Moroder, who was part of the disco era. Midnight Express has Brad Davis, Randy Quaid, John Hurt, Paul L. Smith, Irene Mim- in 1978. Oh, shit. Shit, shit, shit. It's impossible to imagine a more exciting film, says Rona Barrett. Rex Reed called it a colossal triumph. Months before its release, stunned and overwhelmed a special preview audience. It's the movie they couldn't wait to talk about. The movie is Midnight Express. He was a 20-year-old American boy, up against a system he didn't understand, spoken in a language he couldn't speak. That's when they would do the trailers. Remember that? When the trailer was kind of just the teaser. It didn't give the synopsis. The films of Alan Parker. um, He did The Wall. Uh, Originally, I think Roger Waters wanted to direct The Wall himself. Uh, Alan Parker also did Fame. The movie, not the TV show. (laughs) Uh, this is, here's Alan Parker. The inspiration came from the music, obviously first the music, and then secondly from Je- Gerald Scuff's uh, artworks. He would do these mammoth great drawings, from which one drawing, then I would do an entire scene. But it was, you know, I was inspired by his drawings, really. Firstly, it's Roger Waters' story, you know, not just the music, but, uh, you know, I spent a lot of time with him, with, with Gerald Scuff trying to extract from him what, what exactly this story he wanted to tell. You know, Roger's very, very political himself. 
So a lot of that, I think, comes from Roger's original, you know, you can't get away from the music. The music is the beginnings of everything in that film. And, uh, and I think that all of us try to um, put in whatever politics that we wanted, really, which was reflecting the times, you know. There was riots between the police and skinheads, which was very prevalent in England, in London at that time, and so we put that into the film. Um, the whole nationalism that then, you know, the interesting thing was that uh, the Falklands War uh, happened. As we'd finished the film, we were editing it. A lot of the things that are in the film were about that, and yet it happened after we'd finished the film. It was amazing that we, we, we were sort of predicting what might happen. You know? And that's uh, P- uh, Alan Parker talking about the wall you know, and Pink Floyd and, and the music. And because, you know, that was the, I think that was, they never made a film of Dark Side of the Moon, but with the wall because of the symbolism of the wall. And Alan Parker was really good at that. And if I can, okay. This is, this is just a basically a run through of Alan Parker's digital obit done in 2020. Down here, they say rattlesnakes don't commit suicide. They say there's just enough religion in the world to make men hate one another, but not enough to make them love. Oh, is that what they say? When you're uh, halfway through your first film, you're certain that it's surely going to be your last. And then you kind of blink. Years have gone by and, and you made 14 films. It's quite a surprise, really. But you always know you're going to get there. It's like, however hard, hard it is on the movie, you know, if you squeeze your eyes together, you're always going to get to the rap party. And I love when they do that, when they do kind of a. Because the films themselves, from Midnight Express to Bugsy, yeah, he did Bugsy, where here. Jodie Foster's playing like a young gun mall and, and they've got these kids <laughs> Angel Hart Robert De Niro um, Lisa Bonet Woo-hoo! that was I think probably around the time she you know left the Cosby show and went over to a different world Alan Parker you know yeah he had done the wall he had done fame and then, well, he does, you know, the film Evita. Madonna as Eva Peron. And, yeah, it was, uh, it was interesting. It was interesting. You know, it was, it was a musical. It was a musical. Madonna isn't necessarily acting. <laughs> and and no disrespect to her um you know or, the person who originated the role of Evita on Broadway was um my mind has gone blank see what happens when you're medicated i i have major congestion and so um that's what's happening 
some, you know, like I went to go get the medicine and I went to the wrong store. So don't worry. <laughs> so based on Andrew Lloyd Webber. Vita, you know. New Argentina. Yeah, Che Guevara and Eva Perón didn't know each other, but on Broadway they did. <sighs> Mandy Patekin played Che. And... Patty Lapone, now I remember. I didn't have to look it up. Patty Lapone originated the role of Eva Peron on Broadway. Iconic. So, of course, when you're not going to get cast in the film, and Madonna gets cast in it, and. Yeah. He also did Mississippi Burning, you know, Gene Hackman, um, Wilhelm Defoe. I think Francis McDormand is in that too. It's a it's a powerful film. And let's see. I'm looking for you know some of these interviews it's it's interesting. You go back oh I didn't know he turned down Harry Potter. I would too. <laughs> yeah. Okay. You should always be ready to improvise. And uh, if you improvise and it's better, then you have to be very quick to, 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 to see that it's better. Sometimes you can improve. There's a phrase which is improved to death, which you can improvise so much that you, you end up with something that's not as good as you originally wrote or originally imagined. When I remember when I did uh, Angel Heart, I had De Niro and Mickey Rourke two of them would improvise, go all over the place, and I, I was forever dragging them back to the words that I'd written, in order to, uh, because what I'd written was better than they were improvising, there were other times when they improvised so much better than I'd have written, you know, in the end, you know, as a writer, you have to protect your words, and, you know, you say, well, actually, I have already improvised, I improvised when I wrote it, and then the actors can sometimes make it better, but equally they can make it worse so you have to be ready to know which is which Leroy what are you doing here you uh you ever heard of Alvin Ailey Alvin Ailey he's a he's a choreographer he, he wants me to join his company look I'm sorry Leroy but I really don't think this is the time I can't if you fuck me up I have to pass what you should have thought of it four years ago. Where I come from, it don't pay to read and speak white. Don't lecture me, Leroy. Maybe I didn't say it right, but you've been down real hard on me ever since day one. Whatever you say, Leroy, go home. I stopped going home a long time ago, but you never knew that, did you? You people make a big deal about pulling us out of the gutter, and yet you still won't eat with us. You know what that leaves people like me? Nowhere. Look, this is not the time. I don't want to hear it. You're going to hear it. I'm going to be a dancer, a good dancer. Just get out you know what that, y'all? Me. And you me. with your business and your hang is not going to keep me down because I can't read stories that I can see on Don't TV. Don't you carry anything with anyone but yourself.
So those are just some of the films, including Evita. Oh, Madonna, Madonna, Madonna. And I have to give the copyright to another brick in the wall. It wasn't performed by Pink Floyd, but it was a cover. And so, yeah, I mean, I, I thought, well, we'll talk about Birdie. But I thought, no, because Alan Parker was much more than that. He was born, sir, well, Alan William Parker in... Isleton, London, England, on February 14th, 1944, and he died July 31st, 2020. He was a, uh, yeah, genre, working in different genres. Uh, he directed musicals, he, uh, Bugsy Malone in 1976, Fame in 1980, The Wall in 1982, 40 years ago, The Commitments in 1991, Evita in 1996. True story dramas including Midnight Express 1978, Mississippi Burning 1988, Come See the Paradise 1990, Angela's Ashes, yes, like the book, 1999, family dramas including Shoot the Moon 1982, and hor uh, horrors and thrillers including Angel Heart 1987, and The Life of David Gale 2003, yeah legendary director I think his last film was The Life of David Gale and um, yeah Woo. I think The Wall though you know The Wall I, I, what, I'm working with Jason Almy we're gonna do If Shit Happens When You Party Naked we're gonna work on a show together about music and, and its relationship to film and right there I think of Alan Parker because you think okay fame Evita and of course the wall and the wall is celebrating 40 years this year 1982 and how those songs translated on the screen and then you've got the characters themselves the imagery, you know, Alan Parker's films, they're tough. They're tough. They are not for the faint of heart. And that always struck me the first time I watched The Wall. And it opens with Thin Ice. If you've ever heard that song, okay, 
and and then you see the character his name is pink and he is in this the swimming pool and then you hear that song and then it crescendos you hear the guitars and then you see these war images and it looks like he's covered in blood in the swimming pool and it is just whoa and that is that is, if we had to define Alan Parker's films and the imagery and it's one giant music video that's what it is the same with Evita you know say what you will about Madonna my late professor who would have been 90 this week she loved Evita she loved that film because she said you know Eva Perón died in the 1950s and that was her era and they remember when it happened um and also, you know, with Evita, yes, Madonna was pregnant at the time. That made big headlines. But the fact that she was singing in the film, okay? She wasn't, this wasn't her usual pop star sound. Madonna actually got a vocal coach and is singing these songs. And, you know, the orchestration and everything, it, it was impressive. Uh, not just for Madonna fans, but for someone like my professor and many others who liked musicals who didn't necessarily listen to Madonna they were impressed dance skills and, and then Antonio Banderas and yeah now back to the wall Bob Gildoff now we all know Bob Gildoff who started you know Live Aid okay and that you know that uh, that Christmas song from England do they know it's Christmas okay Bob Gildoff was in The Wall. It is such an intense film. And the imagery and the alienation. If you if if you if you are familiar with the sound of Pink Floyd, please don't roll your eyes because I know how much Pink Floyd means. I, oh my goodness. I want to give a shout out to George Trombolopoulos, who I consider a friend. I've had on this show. I've been on his Apple show. He loves Pink Floyd. And he is a prolific pianist. And he, and he'll do these live Instagrams. And one time he, he, well, not one time, a bunch of times. One time I asked him to play a Pink Floyd song, and he did. And it was so beautiful. So it doesn't matter if you can sing those lyrics, if you can play that music, that music is timeless. There is something about Pink Floyd's sound. It started off as a blues man, you know, they started off with that song, uh, Arnold Lane, which was supposedly about cross-dressing, and the BBC were supposedly going to ban it, and then how the band went through these different leadership changes. They went, you know, first it was Sid Barrett in the 1960s and then Rod, um, Roger Waters in the 1970s. And then in the late 1980s, 1990s, for the end of Pink Floyd, it was uh, David Gilmore. So Pink Floyd, that sound and the wall really personified, I, you know, Dark Side of the Moon. Dark Side of the Moon really is the moment that the rocket ship took off for them sonically and they were doing essentially it was a jazz album and 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 even the lyrics you know it's about alienation us and them breathe and time and but with the wall 
and and it's not lost on me that the the, the biggest hit of Pink Floyd, in fact, their only char- chart-topping single was Another Brick in the Wall Part Two, came out the year I was born. You know, everyone knows that song. We don't need no education. We don't need no thoughts control. The dark sarcasms in the classroom teachers leave those kids alone. The lyrics. Think of think of think of the imagery that they're painting sonically and then comfortably numb comfortably numb in the wall alan parker oh my god it is this interesting almost hallucinogenic psychedelic moment where he the character is odin and it looks like and he's and he's going back to these passages when he had like a fever although it's in the lyrics and and it's him running around with a rat and then seeing all of these dead people coming up and kissing him and then the guitar solos i mean that is alan parker right there it is on the edge it is in your face and midnight express mid the first time i saw midnight express damn 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 An Alan Parker film really, it can be unsafe territory. And those are the best films. There's there's a scene in Midnight Express where the character's wife comes to see him and literally rubs her breasts against the glass because he is just dying for human community, human, human communication right there. It, it's it's an intense film. It is it is not a film for the faint of heart. Okay. And there's and there's a lot that go. You know, Alan, like I said, Alan Parker took it there. He took it there, and we're gonna take it there in this clip. Thank <laughs> you. 
Now that's the custom scene and it is intense. And you can hear his heart thumping and the music and everything. Midnight Express is really dangerous territory cinematically and story-wise. And so we're going to go over to Birdie. Birdie, even Birdie. Birdie, there's nothing safe about Birdie. You think, oh, okay, it's about flying. And that's what Alan Parker did really brilliantly. And, uh, films are just I I can see why some people like even the life of David Gale if you've ever seen the life of David Gale there is nothing safe about that film and those are the films really that stay with you But Matthew Modine and, and Nicolas Cage and Birdie, I mean, what a what a wild ride. And it's not Toad's wild ride. It is a wild ride. And, oh no, that's, <laughs> it's funny. I'm looking for a clip and uh, Pink Floyd comes on. We just talked about, we just talked about the wall. Um. Here we go. As scary as a bird's life must be, at least they have that. They can always fly away. I'm sure I can get through to him. I just have to have some more time. You think I don't know what you're doing with all this squatting and sideways staring stuff?
that's the clip I wanted to play and you know the music is done by Peter Gabriel so what's interesting is is that Alan Parker really when it came to how he wanted the, the film to sound it, w- it was intense whether it was the music of Pink Floyd or the music of Gior- Gior- uh, Giorgio Moroder in uh, Midnight Express or Peter Gabriel in Birdie and that's, uh, that's uh, Alan Parker although uh, and we did play a few clips you know from like Mississippi Burning and um, Evita <laughs> Alan Parker received I think it's a BAFTA fellowship so the BAFTAs are the British equivalent of the Academy Award all countries have them and here is Sir Alan Parker's 2013 speech such an incredible career was is there one particular film where that you've 
sort of felt it was a turning point for you um, as a director in your career? One of your films. I, I think that. Uh, I mean, you, you put some effort into all of them. It's the truth, you know. I think that uh, you know the very first film I did, Bugsy Malone, was such a ludicrous film. And it's only kind of film you only do at the beginning of the career because it's really too difficult to do. You know, now you'd say, no, don't do it, it's too hard. And uh, when you, because of doing something so daft as that, it's kind of, it's still around. It's still, yeah. you know, it's, it's, it's uh, you know, I don't know, because it's such a loony idea, maybe. There was a really lovely moment, actually, at um, the nomination party last time when we saw Dexter Fletcher uh, talking oh, yeah. to you because, of course, it was his first film he role, I think. Nine he was, yeah. Yeah, nine, and now he's, he's up for, just yeah. directed his Fabulous, film. yeah. Wonderful. Really good film too, yeah. He's a really talented boy. He is, he's incredible. Um, I mean, how much do you think you've seen the British film industry change over over the years? And is it in a good state at the moment, would you say? Um, it's, it goes up and down, you know, where it's all boom and bust. Always has been. We punch above our weight, you know. We have a lot of really talented people. And we do, uh, you know, I think we do as well as we can possibly do, yeah. I think it's not so great at the moment, but, uh, you know, it's always cyclical and it'll come back. As I get older, you know, the, the thought of being in Mississippi up to your knees in mud is, is less and less appealing. But, yeah, no, I, I don't, you know, they say when you get this particular award, you know, they said next up is the memorial service. <laughs> so I hope, it, hope it's not going to be that. Yeah. You're still bring it as bringing chicken. I mean, what's next for you then, if, there's, if not a direct Well, no, I do. I write all the time. You know, yeah. I've done a number of screenplays that, uh, that ha haven't got made, you know, for all the different reasons that films don't get made. Not every, you know, people don't realise that you can put as much effort into a film that doesn't get made as ones that do, you know. Right, of course, I know, and there are so many that we, we never see, never see the light of day. Yeah. Um, and I do just have to say one last thing to you, which I think has been a philosophy for many of us in our lives. You give it a little love, it all comes back to you. Oh, so, Alan Parker, congratulations. Thank you, that's thank very you sweet so of you. Thank you. Thank you. That is Sir Alan Parker talking about his... BAFTA fellowship. Basically, in England, it's it's along the lines of the Irvin Thalberg, G. Thalberg Award. That's what we have here in America for uh, the Academy Awards. They no longer, you know, strangely enough, they no longer uh, give those out during the Academy Awards. They decide to do their own little off-camera thing. Um... But yeah, this this was important. This was important. I'd seen Birdie. I've seen so many of Alan Parker's films. And as I gear up to do, you know, this project where we're going to talk about film and music and how it... I mean, and then the soundtracks, you know, the soundtracks, the 60s, that's when it really started. You know, you've got everything from A Hard Day's Night. A Hard Day's Night really is poking fun at Beatlemania. And they didn't come up with the title until... Or no, they had the title for the movie, but th they didn't do the song yet. The song wasn't done until after the film was done. And that's how the film opens. And and then and then films change with, you know, you have The Graduate, and you have Simon and Garfunkel, who are forever associated with The Graduate, the film. You know, it opens with... Uh, um, sounds of si uh, Silence... And then Mrs. Robinson. And so that's how really this marriage of cinema and, and music that really hadn't been done before, except in musicals. 
you know now when a film comes out it's like oh the soundtrack and then and then something like in the 90s with the bodyguard how the soundtrack was even bigger than the movie the movie itself you know when and and i've seen this when people watch the bodyguard yeah people are kind of stunned that what what comes out of whitney houston's mouth and then the love story and all that and the love story which is great because it's there is no mention of race but at the end of it it's about that soundtrack and how enormous that soundtrack became and, um, and even when she died that's what she was remember- remembered for was the bodyguard soundtrack and so if we bring it all the way back to like I was just mentioning Pink Floyd's The Wall whenever, whenever you talk about that they always mention the film so that's why I thought well, we should do this on Alan Parker and his relationship with music and with film and like in Midnight Express that scene where the guy is going through customs and his heart you can literally hear his heart pounding and the music the music is dark it's menacing it's like oh shit something's gonna go down and how he could layer that in his films and it, it goes all the way back to one of my favorite moments in the wall is a disturbing moment is when the character is ODing and comfortably numb starts to play and then and then when they they've got him on his feet they're going to take him to I don't think they're taking him to the hospital I think they're taking him to get clean and they're trying to get him in the limo and that's when he turns into just something beyond this world and and all the while you hear Pink Floyd and you hear that uh, guitar solo by David Gilmore uncomfortably numb you know and then even even another brick in the wall another brick in the wall the way Alan Parker did it cinematically he's got all the kids in that room and they're they're going out like slaughter it's like cattle at the slaughter and they're all being made into meat they're going into the meat grinder because as the word and the and it goes right with the words you know all in all you're just another brick in the wall and then all the kids are singing it you know they're singing that chorus uh and so the imagery of the wall we we have to credit Alan Parker for that because it takes a great director to facilitate all of that and bring it to fruition and so that's the Dr. Zeus film podcast you know uh, it, it's not lost on me that next month is the four I've, I've been doing this for four years I don't phone it in I just do it when I you know I always joke and say it's like Barbara Walters remember when I first started to do this show, I wanted to do a show about women with different personalities. It's called The View. And I'd say, fuck that. When I started this show, I I don't, yeah, I did it as a form of personal therapy. Because before, I wasn't really t- talking about a particular subject. And I would just talk and I never thought, oh, okay, you could do this. And then you could have an audience. And then, yes, I have haters and I have people who like it. I know that some of the haters still listen. That's fine. Fuck them. Um, 
but it was Jason Almy of Shit Happens When You Party Naked who has let's give him some brownie points he has a film degree and he was the one who said you know you talk about film and music all the time you should just start rebrand your show as a film podcast a media podcast because I couldn't just type you know type it up to because when I rebranded it you really have to go in and rebrand it so you know Dr. Zeus film podcast I thought okay now some people well why don't you change it to music no because like I said they all go together and I'm not rebranding it again and I have yet to print out any stickers under the new name and it's been almost two years since I rebranded it but even then in the first weeks that I started podcasting in 2018 I, I remember I was talking about The Revenant The Revenant which is such a bloody film then I was talking about I was talking about Cabaret even then and uh, Meatloaf it's weird how times like that you know here we are four years later Meatloaf is dead I'm talking about the singer not the food huh and so yeah and, and Tool you know um, I'm going to do a Tool show I don't know how I'm going to do it because I can't play the music because I don't want to get taken down but in March it will be the 30th anniversary of Tool's first EP Opiate and what they've done is if you're a Tool fan you're going to love this I don't even think we're fans They some weird article said that People who listen to the music of Tool, it's almost like a cult, and I disagree with that. Yes, some of the stuff is expensive. You want to go see them in concert, and I and I can tell you firsthand, but it's worth the money. Uh, it probably, but I say I bought them early. If I had gone through Ticketmaster, it probably would have cost me four hundred, but it cost me close to six hundred dollars for two tickets. If you want up close, it's probably a couple of grand. It's not Madonna money, thank God. Um, and so they have a new Blu-ray coming out called Opiate to Opiate Square. So, and then you know, there's uh, the posters. I mean, <laughs> I had to order one of their tour books on eBay. <coughs> but yeah, and see, and see. If, if Alan Parker were still with us, that would have been an interesting marriage if he had worked with Tool. I'm not comparing them to Pink Floyd, but there is something cinematic about the music. The same could be said about Led Zeppelin. Remember Led Zeppelin made that film, The Song Remains the Same, Roger... Roger uh, I almost said Roger Daltrey, and I realized, oh no, he's not in Led Zeppelin. <laughs> um, who's in Led Zeppelin? <laughs> See what happens? I'm so tired right now. Um, Robert Plant. Robert Plant, who's in Led Zeppelin. In that film, and it's cinematic, but it goes with the music, he's riding a horse music's playing and then it's going into crazy days and that's what you can do with music and so to applaud Sir Alan Parker for that and and then even something as, as silly as fame you know 
um i'm gonna live forever yeah that song i love Ernie Cara. come on if you were a little kid in the 80s and you remember the first time you heard fame the theme song or even something and that that's the other thing with music and film flash dance oh what a feeling yeah okay cinematic music see it all goes into there and that's how you know yeah it, it arrives so and and we have to give sir alan parker kudos because he got madonna to sing on key for once come on there was no pro tools involved if if there had been i'm sure andrew lloyd Web, weber would have had a coronary <laughs> I'd like to know what he really thought of that casting. Antonio Banderas, sure. Spaniard. Latin lover. Okay, Madonna. Oh, Lord. Well, let's hope she can hold a note. <laughs> but, yeah. That, that's, that's what I loved about Alan Parker. It, most filmmakers, they make the same film ten times. Michael Bay, I'm talking to you. And then there's filmmakers that, yes, they, they're known for, okay, let's use these actors again. Martin Scorsese, George Lucas, Steven Spielberg. Huh. And then there's filmmakers like Kubrick. In fact, Alan Parker, who was in, they were doing a, a documentary about um, Stanley Kubrick. And he says, I think we were too scared of him. And he was right. Because, you know, Kubrick had moved over to England and a lot of the British directors uh, rallied around Stanley Kubrick and Alan Parker was one of them. And, you know, how, how really to get, you know, you're going to get your audience and pull them in with a film. So the fact that they all rallied around this American-born director who was known for pushing the envelope with A Clockwork Orange... The Shining, Full Metal Jacket. You know, I was I was I was watching Birdie. I thought I thought, whoa, this. It's always with Matthew Modine. He's he's a very underrated actor. You look at him in Birdie, and then you look at him in Full Metal Jacket, and it's like, whoa. And then uh, Nicolas Cage. You know, at one point, Nicolas Cage's real name is Nicolas Coppola, and he really changed it to Cage because he didn't want to you know that beautiful word called nepotism and uncle francis ford coppola in fact he was in one of uh, francis ford coppola's films uh but you know method actor right there as i said earlier for birdie he had them take out his two you know his teeth so that he could you know that because that character had to look like that he was hit by a bomb you know, hopefully, thankfully, he didn't take his nose off. Um, but and then to arrive at the wall, Pink Floyd's the wall. And Roger Waters, Roger Waters is so full of shit. And he had an issue with the film because he didn't have control of it. But if you notice, the other members of Pink Floyd loved the film. The film was shocking. 40 years later, it stands the test of time. If you, I, I remember years ago watching um, Margaret Show was doing a comedy special and she was talking about the wall. And the audience, their reaction when she says, 
how her mother was always her mother was kind of like a helicopter mother you know she'd always hover over her and and also because her mother they were korean americans and so you know when you're a child who comes from an immigrant family that they, they want to make sure that you're being good all the time and so she talked about this she was making light of seeing the wall and she says I went and saw the wall with my mom. Now she was probably joking to be facetious when she said this. She was like, halfway through the movie, someone actually passed her a joint. What is this? I don't smoke. I don't, I'm going to buy popcorn. <laughs> Cause that's the other thing with the wall that I've talked to people about. Yeah, they would, they would get stoned. They would get stoned and watch the movie because of the animation and the music and everything crescendoing it's like okay yeah there there are certain films that you shouldn't do that too from personal experience uh you know if you're gonna take an edible or eat the cookie or the brownie okay but just be prepared i i to this day i refuse to go to a concert like that first of all i have to drive home i don't i don't you know, it says it's not. Well, it says you shouldn't operate heavy machinery when you do that stuff. So don't do it. <clears throat> but when you're at home, safe in your home, and you're going to watch Pink Floyd's The Wall or Midnight Express. Well, or even Birdie. Like I said last night, I I watched the movie and then I ended up some of it ended up in my dream. I thought, oh, how strange. But those are the kind of films where it's like, oh, shit. We, we've arrived. So that's the Dr. Zeus Film Podcast. And um, it's 11-11. Make a wish and happy belated birthday, Alan Parker, wherever you are. And thank you for really bringing, oh, with a capital B, bringing the fucking music to the film and to making it worthwhile. I mean, those images, whether it's Pink Floyd in the wall the dancers in fame, the the pounding of uh, Midnight Express, because you don't know what's going down at Midnight Express. It's going to cut you. To uh, Madonna actually singing for a change in Evita. The Life of David Gale. Life of David Gale, that's a tough film to watch. In fact, strangely, that was his last film. In that interview that I played, I don't think he ever thought he was going to, you know, not make a film again. It's sad. It's sad. So, unpleasant dreams.